But I think there's a way to engage students to really ask those next three questions instead of just getting angry, shutting down, or responding violently. I think we have to encourage the dialogue that gets at why do we believe what we believe and can we talk about why we believe what we believe. I think fighting speech with speech is, is really good, but if you feel like you're the one and only on a campus and you may be intimidated or fearful of doing it, I think that fear is legitimate, but we need to bolster those skills, teach those skills so students feel more comfortable engaging each other when they don't agree on issues that, that matter. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Here's your host, Megan Hayes. Dr. Lee Bird is Vice President for Student Affairs at Oklahoma State University Stillwater and leads numerous functional areas including the Student Union, Campus Life, University Counseling, University Health Services, Career Services, Dining, Residential Life, and the Department of Wellness. An adjunct professor in OSU's Student Development Graduate Program, she has worked in some aspect of student affairs for 36 years. Bird served as president of the National Board of Directors for the Association of Student Judicial Affairs, now ASCA, and co-authored The First Amendment on Campus, a handbook for college and university administrators, published in 2006 by NASPA, the leading association for the advancement, health, and sustainability of the student affairs profession. She has also authored and co-authored several book chapters on responding to emergencies and the First Amendment in the digital age. Bird serves on a number of civic and professional boards, including the Oklahoma State Regents for Higher Education Council on Student Affairs and the Campus Safety and Security Task Force, Central Oklahoma American Red Cross Board, and Stillwater Medical Center Foundation Board. She is a FEMA, CERT, and Incident Command Instructor Trainer, and she consults and speaks regularly on topics such as student development, student conduct, campus threat assessment and crisis management, and the First Amendment rights of students. Bird earned her Ph.D. from the University of Arizona. Dr. Lee Bird, welcome to Sound Effect. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're really glad to have you here today. You're joining our campus as part of a week-long series of events during which our university is engaging in an examination of freedom of speech at Appalachian. And we've heard from Dr. David Pilgrim, the founder of the Jim Crow Museum, from Ken Nwadiki, a motivational speaker who's made it his mission to help people listen to one another during the most contentious of circumstances, and from Robert Shibley, Executive Director of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, or FIRE, as well as our own on-campus experts, including sustainability experts and Dr. Nancy Love, who's research area is in hate speech and music. So our week is culminating with your visit. And you have brought with you your expertise in working with students, faculty, staff, administrators on college campuses, as well as your resolute esteem for the First Amendment. As this week of programming begins to wind down, I have some questions that have been raised in discussions and workshops throughout the week that I'd like to discuss with you. I'm ready. That's okay. So if we could, let's begin with some context. Um, it seems to me that there's been an uptick in protests, not only on our campus, but in our community and nationally as well. And I found myself describing this as the new normal to some folks a while ago. Is this a new trend, or do you think it's just one that's gaining more media attention? I think it's gaining more media attention. I think it's captured more on on uh, social media. I've seen an uptick, somewhat of an uptick, but I think it's like waves. We've had this since the 60s and the 70s, and then we saw some with the, uh, you know, we are the 99. And I mean, it's just, I think it's part of being on a college campus. I think it's, uh, it, it is just part of our culture. Um, but there, there has been a, a small uptick, but we know about more of them because of social media. Hmm. 
there does seem to be an increased acceptance for ridiculing higher education and of college students. And maybe this is just me, but I feel like a lot of this sentiment seems to carry this criticism for college students being too sensitive. Right. Do you think college students today are more sensitive than their predecessors? And if so, does that mean they're too sensitive? You know, I, I hear uh, different. I hear people say, and uh, that these are the desert flowers or the snowflakes. And I, I think I'm sure there are some snowflakes there and, and desert flowers. And uh, and I think there is a sensitivity, but I think it's in some ways a righteous sensitivity that how long do we have to put up with racist and sexist and homophobic and how long do we put up with that? Is that still okay? So I think there, there are probably different camps. I think there is some additional sensitivity. The evolution of trigger warnings, safe space, that kind of thing, that's kind of an indicator of that sensitivity that we want to be protected. And I, I don't think that's healthy for a campus. But I also see that students um, have a righteous indignation about some of the treatment that they receive and some of the things that are done and said at the national level and even and on campus. So I think there's both. So I realized at some point while listening and talking with others uh, during this week of speech events that I have been unintentionally assuming that protecting free speech comes at the price of developing a culture of inclusion and respect. Is this an assumption that you hear others making, and is it a false assumption? I think it is a false assumption. Uh, I think free speech protects all of us. I think free speech is is the answer to fight bad speech and hateful speech with, with other speech, better speech. I think just throwing a hand up and saying, oh, we aren't, we aren't going to talk about it, we aren't going to, I think that's not the way forward. I think we have to absolutely protect the First Amendment and understand that that protection is often for the speech that we hate, not the speech that we all agree is appropriate. So do you think the First Amendment is in jeopardy? I, I pray not, although I've had, uh, I, I have some concerns um, looking at international things like press issues kind of the, the intolerance that I see at a, even a federal level, our intolerance towards each other. It's dangerous role modeling. I think we can do better, and I think we need to do better, and especially on college campuses where it is all about learning and how do we talk to each other and listen to each other and persuade each other instead of just kind of taking sides or our corners and fighting each other. So I, I think it is a little bit, I don't think it's in jeopardy. It is the, you know, the first among equals, as they say, for the, for the amendments, but um, it's certainly a challenging period. One common theme that almost all of our guests have shared in one way or another is the conviction that higher education has to prepare students to wrestle with the complexities of interactions with other human beings, and you just alluded to that, so that they're able to work out their differences and be prepared for difficult conversations. Can you talk about the benefits of doing this and also the risks of not doing this well? Sure. Uh, um, when we look at employers nationally and in, in our surveys across states and uh, even the national surveys about what employers are looking for, they talk about leadership as their number one beyond the academic credential, um, bachelor's, master's, PhD, whatever. Beyond that, they look to leadership as being the number one characteristic that they're looking for in our students. And they define then characteristics of leadership as being able to communicate ideas, uh, being able to work with people different than themselves, being able to work as a team, appreciating diversity, being able to work with people that are, again, different than maybe your belief system or your ethnicity. So it's those are all things that are captured under leadership. And I think if there is a mission, especially for land-grant universities and uh, universities, is to train people for uh, their leadership roles within society. And I don't think we do a favor when we 
kind of don't emphasize that. I think if we uh, if we just throw up our hand and and you know we aren't going to talk about that or we aren't willing to to learn about each other, uh, I'm not sure we're really helping students prepare for a world world outside the academy. One piece of advice that we received from Robert Shibley, uh, executive director of Fire, is for college administrators to sit back a bit and not respond immediately sometimes, even if they are asked to intervene in difficult situations. And he said this is because, in his words, college students are adults, and we need to treat them like adults and let them work things out for themselves. And I've been thinking a lot about this, and I'd like to ask you a follow-up question to his answer, if, if you okay. would permit me to do that, because it occurs to me that some adults, you know, young, old, whatever, they have a lot more support particularly if they're from the dominant culture, then they might be more comfortable having conversations or difficult conversations just because they feel more solid in their belief system Mm -hmm. because it's supported by those around them. I wonder if college students have an obligation to even out that playing field so that those who aren't in the dominant culture have that same level of support, or is that just... Is that setting up a false reality or false expectations? Uh, I, I see talking points on both sides. I think when we jump into action and write policy or do things that are really um, may not even be constitutional, if we, if we do that stuff, jump and react, I think it can be problematic. We've certainly seen hate speech codes. You know, what do administrators like to do? We like to write write a you know policy against something <laughs> or for something. So that's been tried, and it's been found to be unconstitutional. Some people say that our racial harassment and sexual harassment policies have become de facto speech codes. That's a, a fire perspective. They worry about that as well. And I, I think we need to be good role models because of that support issue. I think these are skills, listening and speaking are skills. And I think we can serve our students best when we role model that behavior, when we talk about the issues, when we encourage the dialogue instead of just, you know, standing and yelling at each other. And uh, I, I've seen you know, there's videos uh, online. One was from University of Kansas. Uh, it was a Republican uh, student group where they were, the students came in and just started yelling at them. And there was actually a, a, an advisor in the room and, it, and seemingly did nothing, just let that go. And it was pretty destructive. And I've also seen when we can help encourage the dialogue, we can have uh, people may understand each other's position a little bit. I think fighting speech with speech is is really good. But if you feel like you're the one and only on a campus and you, you may be intimidated or fearful of doing it, I think that fear is legitimate. But we need to bolster those skills, teach those skills so students feel more comfortable engaging each other when they don't agree on issues that that matter. Right. Well, that leads really well to my next question, because I've been thinking about this, too. I'm an adjunct instructor, so I teach one class, Mm -hmm. and I certainly don't consider myself a spokesperson for faculty, but but I think I can say that I'm not the only person who might feel unprepared to manage a heated discussion like the one you just described. When suddenly you look around the room, there's a really contentious discussion happening, and you realize, oh, no, I'm the adult in the room, and Mm -hmm. I need to do something. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Do you have some just practical tips or advice on how we can be prepared to be that adult in the room who does the right thing instead of shutting down discussion but helps facilitate and foster constructive discussion? Yeah, running out of the room. See, you know, that's (laughs) sometimes that seems, yeah. Uh, In fact, I've been real pleased. I talked to several people this morning and talking about 
um, some of the the faculty opportunities for learning how to do classroom management better. Because college faculty are not trained to be teachers. They're trained in their discipline. Right. And, and then they start teaching, and sometimes things do erupt. And I, I think the first is to be a good role model, to, to listen and speak, um, to ask people why they believe what they believe. And uh, a really good example of, of these skills is a program called Bring It to the Table. I don't want to be a commercial for them. But some of the questions and, and what they do is, is get people that are clearly kind of in opposite sides politically to talk about why they believe what they believe. And in some cases, even find some common ground, even though they may seem that they're polar opposites. And it, it's fascinating to watch that done well. And it really is kind of engaging. And then role modeling that, uh, learning some of those skills, and then applying them in the classroom. If it gets out of hand, there's fistfights, whatever, the class is over, we walk away. But I think there's a way to engage students to really ask those next three questions instead of just getting angry, shutting down, or uh, responding violently. I think we have to encourage the dialogue that gets at why do we believe what we believe and can we talk about why we believe what we believe. So what about for students? What are some specific practical measures that students can take when they're feeling frustrated about the expressions of their peers or even their faculty or their administrators and they don't know what to do about it? Again, I think if there is true discrimination or harassment, they need to report that to the campus authorities, the Title IX officer, uh, deputy coordinator, um, see student conduct, talk to their RA, talk to a hall director, um, seek out a trusted faculty member to talk about what's occurring. If it's severe and pervasive, it is probably actionable. If it is just a comment that's hurtful, talking to folks about how to if it's worth it, because sometimes you hear things and it may not even be worth addressing. You right. just let it go. But there may be a time where we want to draw those individuals together to have a conversation about how hurtful language can be. And and that's not actionable necessarily. But to have the conversation about why something that's just kind of a, an off-putting statement may actually feel threatening to someone. They don't want to go to class. They don't want to be at ASU anymore. They may, you know, it, it, words have an impact. And I think it's encouraging students to talk about how they feel, talk about the response, and talk about what they can do about it. Mm -hmm. So you're spending quite a bit of time with university administrators during your visit as well. And really, while there are lots of pressures and challenges on students and faculty, staff and administration have very different roles and different constraints than students and, and faculty. And they also bear probably the greatest level of responsibility for finding solutions uh, that are brought to them sometimes mm -hmm. by, uh, by faculty and by students. So what advice are you providing to college administrators who seek to create an inclusive environment that respects both individuals' rights and also individuals' humanity? Magic wand. That's, that's the answer. Are you, no, are you selling those? No, I am selling those. $9.95. You get that's a coupon. a great deal. It is a great deal. I'll take three. Excellent. Good. Uh, I don't think there is a, a magic wand to this. I think, for fa and it's very different for faculty, staff, and students. Um, students, oftentimes, especially traditional age students, they're 18. Their world experiences are rather limited. Exposure to other cultures and ideas may be limited. Their families, their families' influence, their friends' influence, um, what they look at, what they read, what they've done before college. You know, we tend as human beings to go where we feel safe. We, we don't want challenging news. We go to the news channel that we think represents what we like best. Um, we do the same thing online with things that we read and do. So I think um, 
I think students are, uh, this is their opportunity to be exposed to things that may be uh, challenging, different, difficult. And I think that's all part of the college experience. I really do. But there's a limit. I don't think education should be abusive. And I think helping students understand why we present the classics, why we provide the information we do, or why the books cover one thing and not another. I think the opportunity for faculty to help students understand uh, what's there, what's not there, or why we have these discussions and their importance, even about the First Amendment, is really critical. Staff and faculty have the protections of, of the AAUP. It's not the First Amendment, but often those two things are associated. But that provides for uh, the academic freedom of faculty. And staff really enjoy no protections, but some of the staff are closer to the students than faculty in some cases. Sure. So um, I just finished talking to a student affairs class, and I think part of this is, is really our commitment to engaging learning in and out of the classroom to use opportunities to illustrate kindness or, or hatred or, you know, what do we do? And, and the power that people have to turn that around, to stop something and um, make something better. So social change kind of philosophy. So I think it's, it's all that. It's, it's all three groups, understanding, listening, challenging, and really in a learning environment, that's what we need to do. Yeah. So do you have examples of when that has worked really well? I have a, an example from my campus. We had a couple of students, four students, that were using the cosmetic face mask, and they were using a dark gray, and it, it happened to be on Martin Luther King Day. And the students were saying what we're doing on Martin Luther King Day, and they had one of the girls pictured with this face mask on. Well, it, it looked like blackface. And um, yet when we met with those students, they had no idea what blackface was. They had never learned anything about the history of blackface, what it meant, why it was used. They had no idea. They said in their small town they didn't even recognize Martin Luther King Day or celebrate that or talk about it. So, again, we have an opportunity to be educators even in these really difficult times. And we had protests and we had, you know, students that, you know, sent emails and talked online uh, social media about how hateful this was. and But ultimately, we had an opportunity to get those students together with some of our African-American student leaders. And I have never seen such grace, just a wonderful conversation between these four women and uh, these two student leaders to talk about why this hurts, their um, struggles to be on a predominantly white campus and how it feels to feel like you're targeted or that you're the punchline. And I mean, just being a witness to that was pretty darn amazing. So they talk about the hurt. They talk about their experience. They talk about why it's painful. But they also talk to each other. Where do you come from? Why do you believe what you believe? And just, I mean, just role modeled a, a wonderful thing. And the students actually invited the students to go to the Afro-Am meeting that week. And they did. They took the invitation and it's a very different outcome than just suspending somebody or expelling them and saying, we don't want you here. You don't right, right. I think there can be really learning, true learning, which can change their lives and lifetimes and their children's lives when they really do learn that lesson or learn something important. Our parents did this all the time. Don't do that. And, and an explanation. Mm -hmm. This is where learning occurs, even if it's painful, even if it's hard. Um, but again, our student leaders showed such grace um, in being willing to come to the table and talk about these issues. And I'd, I'd love to see more of that. And it doesn't often happen. I mean, um, but that was really a rare moment and I think a wonderful teaching moment for all of us. Right. It, it occurs to me, too, when you're telling that story, how important 
context really is for having those conversations and how difficult it can be to add context to a situation where people are protesting or where there's lots of conversation happening on social media or one-way mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's different when you sit across the table from sure. someone. And no doubt about it, there are haters out there. There are hate groups. There are haters. There are vicious, horrible people out there that want to destroy cultures and want to destroy difference. So um, they're out there too. So separating that from where you have a teachable moment Right. Uh, an educational opportunity from those times where it's just somebody that, that wants to do harm or, or hate, and that's intentional. Kind of different. Was there pressure, external pressure, to take disciplinary action against the students? Sure. You know, suspend them, expel them. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to happen. That's sometimes easier than the hard work of getting people together or really taking a moment and learning about it and challenging behavior and talking about the impact of behavior, it is so much easier just to expel or, or so it may not be legal, but it's so much easier because you don't have to spend the time. You don't, there's no anguish. There's no, you know, you don't have the letters to the, you don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. You just go ahead and do it and be done with it. Uh, but I'm not sure that's the best education. Right. Because when they, when that does happen and they leave, what have they learned from that experience? Yeah. Maybe the lesson there is just anger. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, Dr. Lee Bird, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our campus. I was so welcome. Joking with you earlier that we um, do a very good job at Appalachia of squeezing every moment out of our visitors when they come. And um, one of those moments is right here now. But, uh, you know, much of the work that you're doing here is in small groups and workshops. And so I really appreciate you doing this conversation with us here so that we can make this part of your work Mm -hmm. more public and hopefully encourage some conversations in a more public way and and a lasting way here on our campus. So thank you. Thank it's you a wonderful much. campus. You've got great people, great students. It's just a beautiful campus in a, in a great setting. And I've been very impressed and just delighted to have this opportunity. Well, thank you so much. Thank it's, you. It's not easy work, but it's work that we're committed to doing. And you we bet. appreciate you helping. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks, with assistance from Wes Craig. Our web team is Pete Montaldi, Alex Waterworth, and Derek Wyckoff. Research assistance comes from Elizabeth Wall, and video and photo support come from Garrett Ford and Marie Freeman. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes.